to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Maybe as you look at where you're at, you've drifted. The passion is waning. The fire has died down. You're distracted. You're off and you've lost your focus. Go back to that place, the house of the Lord, that place of communion with Him and let Him renew you. If there's idols, cast them aside. Put the Lord back in the place that He belongs. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapters 34 through 36 in a message titled, Back to Bethel. Now, here's Pastor Brian. The idea, of course, these gods, a lot of the focus had to do with the agricultural cycle and the prosperity that would come as a result of, you know, the harvesting and, and all of that sort of a thing. And there was the, the, you know, the fruitfulness and all, the reproductive. So these weird sexual things would be connected with it and, and then different ideas of prosperity and, and those kinds of things. And these are all of the things that we can easily get caught up in today. We can get caught up in worshiping the intellect or worshiping uh, the philosophies of men. I think of so many people today that are basically bowing down to Nebo. They reject the word of God. They reject the revelation of God. And they worship at the altar of man's mind. And they, they worship according to the various philosophies. And a lot of people bowing down at these altars. A lot of people worshiping there. But then you've got just a lot of that, you know, the average person is, is worshiping at the altars of Baal, worshiping at the altars of Molech, worshiping at the altars of pleasure and prosperity and sexual gratification and some of those baser kinds of things. But we, as God's people, we have the command to put away the foreign gods that are among us. We're not to be part of that. We're not to be engaged in that. We're not to involve ourselves in those things. We're to be worshiping the Lord and serving him only, bowing down to him, giving our allegiance to him. And Jacob here is really being exhorted by the Lord to, to kind of get his house in order. I think that's, what, that's the point that God is making with Jacob. He's been relatively lax in regard to his household. Remember, we saw when they were fleeing from Laban, remember, Rachel had the household gods. She had stolen them. And you remember, she hid them under that saddle. But it, apparently, Jacob just sort of let all of this stuff slide. He just wasn't too diligent about dealing with these kinds of issues in his house. And, and now the Lord is saying, Jacob, go back to Bethel. Go back to the place I met you. Erect an altar there. And Jacob, from that, he comes now to his family and he says, put away the foreign gods. Jacob's doing the right thing here. He's taking the leadership that he had not really taken previously. And now he's saying, look, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord. And you know, don't wait for somebody else to do that. Take the lead yourself. And you know, a lot of times, the best way to 
get other people to go in the right direction is to just start going in that direction yourself. You lead much of the time by example. You know, somebody was asking me something about leadership the other day, and I said, well, you know, leadership is, is not, a lot of times, it's not about mandating things. It's really about showing people the direction by just going there yourself. And so Jacob here is taking the initiative. He's commanding his family to get their act together as well. I can't really control anybody else, but I can deal with the foreign gods in my own life. If I start there, there's a good chance that that itself is going to impact a lot of other people. To you fathers in this room, you have tremendous power to affect the lives of your children. But you've got to set the example. You've got to set the standard. You've got to start moving in a direction. You know, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to sit there and lecture your kids and to tell them all the things that they're supposed to be doing when you're not doing it yourself. They see through that. They realize that that's hypocrisy. So we've got to lead by example. But we've got to get our houses in order. So Jacob says, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So again, Jacob is, it's kind of like just a fresh commitment on Jacob's part. And you know, we have to do that at times, don't we? All of us, I think, have, I, I know we all have the, the potential and, and maybe to some degree the tendency to just, you know, to let the fire kind of cool down, die down. And sometimes, you know, we're going along and we're, you know, blazing for the Lord, if you will. We're on fire. We're excited. We're committed. We're diligent. But then, you know, things start to slow down a little bit and then they slow down a little bit more and then they slow down a little bit more. And, you know, after a while, you sort of look back and you think, wow, what's happened? Things have cooled down. I've kind of lost my focus. I've kind of lost sight of, you know, where, where I needed to be. And we have to, in those times, we have to stop and say, okay, wait a second. I have this against you, Jesus said. You've left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works. And, and I've had to do this so many times in my life where I will, you know, be going down the road and my passion is strong and I'm on fire and my vision's clear and I know where I'm going. And, and you know, somewhere later down the road, I sort of look around and think, well, wait, what happened? Where am I? I realize I got distracted. And I have to stop and say, I got to get back to where I was. And, and I think this is something that it's a recurring thing throughout our lives. And so we've got to give ourselves a kind of a heart check on a fairly regular basis. We've got to stop and evaluate, where, where am I at right now? And if I've got to deal with things, I've got to set those distractions aside. And, you know, things like that. And a lot of times it's not necessarily 
that we're, you know, just gone headlong out into some evil lifestyle. It's more that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, they kind of come in and they just start to choke out the seed so it's not really bearing the fruit that the Lord intended. But again, we see with Jacob, these are the kinds of opportunities. God comes. He doesn't say, Jacob, I'm sick of you. You never get it right. I'm finished. You're out of here. Adios, I'm going to go find another person to work with. He says, Jacob, go back to Bethel. Get back to that place. And that's how the Lord ministers to us. You know, (laughs) I'll tell you all the stories about the pastor's conference. But another one just came to my mind. You know, we were having a time last night, a bunch of pastors in the room, waiting on the Lord, just kind of, you know, looking for that word from the Lord and just, you know, that moving of his spirit. And, and, you know, some different guys around the room were speaking up and sharing little words, you know, from scripture, some of them, and others just God was putting things on their hearts. And, and you know, suddenly one guy stood up and he just, you know, he just started going off on everybody. And pretty soon he was pointing his finger around the room and he was saying, and you this and you're that and you're not doing this. And, you know, everybody's sort of like, what happened? Who is this guy? You know, (laughs) how'd he get in here? And, you know, I know his, he was well-intended. But, you know, finally I said, thank you. That's okay, we've heard you, you can have a seat. And, you know, I said, you know, some of that stuff might be true, but that's not the way the Lord deals with it. The Lord doesn't come to you and say, you're an idiot. (laughs) Let me slap you around here. The Lord comes and he doesn't berate us. And we see it right here. God said to Jacob, he didn't yell at him. He didn't tell him how stupid he was. He didn't tell him what a big failure he was. He said, Jacob, go back to Bethel. And that's the way the Lord deals with us. I have found over the years, you know, when you're a young pastor, you don't know a whole lot of anything. (laughs) And you have a tendency to just sort of beat people up, you know, beat up the sheep. And, and you think, you know, that you're doing God a favor by pointing the finger and, you know, that kind of a thing. And, but, you know, the older you, you get in the Lord and the longer you walk with him, you realize, you know, that just, the Lord just doesn't deal with us like that. He comes and he entreats us. He speaks to us. Well, sometimes firmly, for sure. But yet always lovingly. And never in a way that's going to push us further into condemnation, but always in a way that's going to bring us, the Lord wants to bring us closer to him. You know, as a parent, if I would come to my kids to correct them, you know, screaming and yelling and threatening and all of that, would that at all incline them to rush to me and embrace me? No, it would, that kind of thing is going to cause them to flee and cower. And when God is misrepresented as coming in that way, it causes people to just kind of flee. But, you know, the Lord comes and 
he says things like, come, let us reason together. Let's talk about this. Let me instruct you like we shared before. Let me lead you with my eye. Don't be like the horse. I don't want to put uh, a bit in your mouth. God wants to speak to us and, and lead us. And he wants us to respond. So maybe as you look at where you're at, you've drifted. The passion is waning. The fire is died down. You're, you're distracted. You're off and you've, you've lost your focus. Go back to Bethel. Go back to that place, the house of the Lord, that place of, of communion with him and let him renew you. If there's idols, cast them aside. Put the Lord back in the place that he belongs. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, God, the house of God, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Terebinth of Weeping. That's the meaning of Elan Bakuth, Terebinth of Weeping. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. So you remember the wrestling match, and you remember how the Lord changed his name. And now again, God is reminding him of that incident and of that new name that he's given to him. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. So once again, now for the Third time, God has reiterated the covenant to Jacob. Of course, this is the same covenant that he had promised with Isaac, and it's the same covenant that he had given to Abraham. It is known as the Abrahamic covenant. And notice, I give to you and your descendants this land. So that covenant although there were many aspects to it, one of the major aspects to the Abrahamic covenant is the promise of the land to the people of Israel. Now, we know we've been living in this time when there is this massive dispute worldwide over that piece of property and over just whose land it is. And of course, the, the Jewish people would say that it's our land because God gave it to our 
ancestors, and they would base their claim on what is stated in the scriptures here. But then you have other groups, the uh, Muslims in particular, who would say, no, this land is not yours. It was not given to Abraham and Isaac. It was given to Ishmael. And of course, they, they lay claim to it and believe that it belongs to them. They go so far as to even try to deny the history of Israel that we have written in the Bible. They tried to deny that there ever was a Davidic kingdom, a Solomonic kingdom, the house of David, those kinds of things. And this is an ongoing battle. And it's not merely a religious battle, as you know. This is a massive political battle. And nations are involved in it. And our nation is involved in it. But the promise of the land goes back to this covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here again, it's repeated. Then God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. So this became sort of a place of worship for Jacob, a place where he would seek the Lord. And then they journeyed from Bethel. And when there was but a little distance to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benani, meaning son of my sorrow. But his father Jacob called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way in Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which was the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben, his firstborn, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So we just see with Jacob, he's God's man. God's working with him. He's dealing with him. He's patiently bringing him along, but he's, he's suffering. The love of his life, Rachel, she dies in childbirth. His firstborn son commits an adulterous act with his concubine. And again, we see just the, the sin nature there within the bosom of the, the holy family, if you will. And so the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father, Isaac, at Mamre, or Kirjoth Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac dwelt. Now, remember when, remember the whole incident when Jacob stole the 
the birthright from Esau, remember what Isaac said? He said, go get me that, that meat that I love, make it because I think I'm gonna die soon and I wanna bless you before I die. Isaac lived another 40 years or so. So he was a long way off on that. So now Jacob comes back to where Isaac was. But now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac did breathe his last and died. And he was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So obviously a full reconciliation between these brothers now burying their father. And then chapter 36, which we will not read through. Chapter 36 is the, the genealogical record of Esau. Esau, as we go further into the history, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And we will come across them many times over going through the Old Testament. And this is basically just that genealogical record for Esau and then also with that the record of the death of Esau and Esau from this point on is no longer a a part of the picture because remember as we said before the book of Genesis isn't a world history it isn't the history of civilizations or anything like that it's the history of redemption and the primary point is to follow the redemptive line. And the redemptive line is flowing through Jacob. So we will now continue to follow Jacob. But as we pick up in chapter 37 next time, we will move into the life of Joseph. Remember in the beginning, I I told you that the book of Genesis was divided into four great events and, and the lives of four great men. The events are, you remember, the creation, the flood, or excuse me, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the dispersion at Babel. And the men are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. And so we are going to next time be introduced to Joseph more fully and follow the story of Joseph with a slight diversion briefly into a few other things that happen. But from this point on, the remainder of the book will deal predominantly with Joseph. And Joseph, the story of Joseph is such a fascinating story. It's one of those stories, every time I read it, I'm I'm so captivated. I'm so, you know, I find myself just transported back into that scene. And I find myself being so moved, just in the human sense, just so moved by all that happened in the life of this young man. And many, many great lessons from the life of Joseph. And one of them is to see how he is such an amazing picture of Christ. So many parallels between Joseph and his brothers and Jesus and his brothers, the Jewish people. So we'll pick up with the life of Joseph here next time around. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
Beautiful People Don't Just Happen is the title of a book by Scott Sauls. And the subtitle is How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And I think in the title and the subtitle, we can see that this book is going to be really helpful in helping us understand how God is using the challenging things in our life to make us, in the end, more like Christ. So my recommendation here is Scott Saul's book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Pick up your copy. I know you're going to be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. You can order the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls, to remind you to assign a purpose to your regret, hurt, and fear. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.